So the Eagles Championship Parade is in the books. How did the city do with an event of this magnitude? Let's get the inside story. Good morning, I'm Tamala Edwards. I'm still on a high from the Eagles Parade. Let's talk to our panel. We've got journalist Larry Platt. Good morning. We've got marketing exec Brian Tierney. Good morning. And communications exec Nia Meeks. Good morning. So now the numbers are in. They're saying they think it was about 700,000 fans. All, somebody told me they thought there were 10 million people going. You're like, there would be people <laughs> upon 40 people. 40 million people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But still, the place was packed. We had one man stabbed in the chest. Other than that, minor incidents and injuries. It's a Philly story. People got hit with thrown beer cans and fell off of poles. But when you saw those throngs, for the city to pull this off, many people said an open-air event rather than going down to the stadium. Mm -hmm. And yet it really was yeah. a, a day of love and the city of brotherly love. And sisterly affection. Because and sisterly there affection. There of women out there, too. Yeah. Can I just say that the city really deserved an A on this one? I mean, we didn't have the warning, oh, no, oh, no, ISIS, Al-Qaeda, somebody's going to come and terrorize it. None of that came up. We actually had peace and harmony for the most part. Mm -hmm. I mean, young people. I mean, it was truly a multi-generational, multi-love event. And yes, the national media had its fun with us after the first night, Sunday night, and you had a few knuckle bucks that acted really right. crazy but for the most part this was so smooth I mean when you talk to people from end to end whether you're in South Philly all the way to the art museum it was a smooth event and people walked away and said this felt good I feel good about being in Philadelphia. You know Larry I feel as though in this country in the last year the story has been about how we didn't know each other and we're so divided yet I was out along the parade route at Broad and Hartramp and people had come from everywhere they couldn't have been nicer to each other. Mm -hmm. They couldn't have been more bonded. Kids, everything out there. I mean, I, I think people are getting the story wrong on who we really are underneath it all. I think that's exactly right. What was really heartening about this and the challenge now for the city is to take this feeling and advance it in our everyday civic life, right? But, but because what you saw at that parade was a cross-section of Philadelphians. You saw the most diverse crowd, all, get, all young, old, black, white, all with common purpose and a sense of joy together. It, it, and, and you're absolutely right, the city deserves tremendous credit. I don't buy this 700,000 number. I think That's yeah. from some survey in England. <laughs> They're still upset about the revolution. Uh, I think there was more. I was at the Phillies parade in 08. This, this was more it, it than that. It dwarfed the Phillies parade. It probably even dwarfed, uh, no offense, but I think it dwarfed the Pope. I mean, it not, didn't dwarf the Pope. I okay. think not necessarily the viewers. Says I heard Catholic boy people here. People there, people there. Uh -huh. I mean, they weren't scared away. That's uh -huh. the difference. Yeah. Well, you know what? I was a little concerned too when first they were saying we're not going to inspect bags and all this right. other sort of thing. Because does it kind of, I was concerned. You know, I, I love the way it worked out, but you were concerned that right. some knucklehead would try something. The diversity of the crowd was amazing. I mean, and I know people who were down there with their kids, you know, four-year-olds old and five-years-old and 90-year-old people as well, and black and white and Hispanic and you name it. And that was a great kind of feeling. So it really is kind of felt like that XOXO uh, campaign for, yeah. uh, you know, the place that loves you back about the city. I think the city showed really well. I mean, you see some of the New York media and they're talking about that speech and, you know, Kelsey's speech and everything. But at the same time, it gives the city character, this kind of, you know, you know, it's a fun place to be, and I think it's going to do a lot for tourism as well, and the brand and image. It also builds on everything else that we've been doing. I mean, when we talked about the Pope, we talked about the NFL draft, oh, yeah. we were talking about big events. For years, Philadelphia's been sort of had the chip to say, well, it's a second-class city. Or second-choice, third-choice, exactly. to have your event. We're a global city. I yeah. mean, clearly, these types of events show that not only can we host them, we can do them well, and that people will come out and support them and behave. And I 
actually, honestly, I had no doubt about this. This town loves the Philadelphia Eagles for everything that they represent, and particularly this team mm -hmm. and the members of this team. Well, let's let's talk about that because you know, in the time that I've been here, we've seen the team go through a number number of iterations. There have been some players that have seemed to really be all about themselves, who've gotten in a lot of trouble where they had a more prickly persona. And now we have a team where you can go through the list, the contributions, the charities, the philanthropy. This is a good group of guys. Would it have been different, let's say, if it was the team with Shady and, you know, Sean, LaShawn McCoy, I mean, LaShawn Jackson and Deshaun Jackson. Right. That team wasn't, th those guys weren't as successful as this team. And I think it's about grit. You know, the, I mean, they're just tough. I mean, and when one goes down, the other one comes back up, and people filling in different roles and things like this. The creativity. But they're also humble. You know, they also yes. pull out there's a lot of be good. character, grit, creativity, character, and fun, too. I yeah. mean, and there's a certain, I mean, where have you seen, it's what happens in that locker room that's really what determines what happens on the field. Absolutely. In those moments of amazing crisis, which this team faced, and you just saw it come through. They're really hitting it hard. That, that's exactly right. right. The, the, the Eagles uh, put, ha and Howie Rosenberg deserves a tremendous amount of credit. I've never seen a general manager who every decision they make, like, turns out in the affirmative. Uh, uh, but they, they put this team together with an eye toward character. Mm -hmm. Character matters. Uh, and they, they eschewed what we would think is our more talented players yeah. for grittier, I think resilience is a key component of that of that locker room. And the other thing, look, everyone's going to talk about the Jason Kelsey speech, and it was hilarious and fun. But for me, the, what, what's new about this story is the earnestness and humility of like a Nick Foles, a mm. Carson Wentz. There, that's that's not the typical Philadelphia story, right? That, yeah. that sort of uh, spirit. This is a spiritual team. Yeah, I gotta Absolutely. tell you too. Even when they're wearing a full fur coat. <laughs> right. Right. But, 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 I mean, but that's the fun part. I put a smile on your face. But I, I did. No matter what your religious background, or even if you, you don't have one, when after the game they prayed. I mean, there, that was a moment yeah. of. I mean, that, that, that I found that really. It's very, cohesion, and it's yeah. cohesion again. This team is probably more reflective of this city than a lot of teams in a lot of years. We've always had the superstar kind right. of clownish kind of personality. Who can forget for who for what with Ricky Waters? I mean, right. it's it goes down in lore. But here's a team that paid homage to those who came before yes. them. Yes, remembering mean, the greats. Absolutely, yeah. and not just in their sport. I mean, anytime Chris Long has uh, Allen Iverson, Iverson jersey and he said on, this win is for you. Like, it, I exactly. love it. Uh, yeah. I mean, across the board, when you saw Dawn Staley watching the Super Bowl and how she screamed, when you saw Kobe Bryant watching the Super Bowl and how he was in right. everyone Will Smith that. Hilarious. You know, everyone kind of came can, can, back can, and can, touched can, can, can him. Hats off to Jeff Lurie, too. When he first came to town and he spoke to people about investing in the team, people were really skeptical. This is the son of a wealthy guy. What has he really done? What's he know about Philadelphia? And, you know, he went through a, the beginning kind of transition eras. But it's really 20 years into it now, 24 years into it, he's... He's created something magnificent. He and should be very grinding proud. it out, he waited. Oh my Absolutely. gosh, yeah. And, and we should say what a great investment that, too. that what they put together the most socially progressive organization in professional sports. People don't know this, but they were ahead of the curve in terms of environmental uh, standards mm -hmm. for their stadium. And it's so much so that when they play an away game and they're not convinced that the opposing stadium uh, has the uh, does recycling to their standards they actually load the team plane up with their own trash to bring it back to Philadelphia uh, Fun they, fact you didn't know. they also <laughs> have uh, uh, through Don Smolensky and uh, Ann Gordon and um, uh, uh, Julie Hershey uh, have redone uh, other teams 
you know, write checks to the community, to community groups. They do that still, but they mentor nonprofits. They open their doors and let nonprofits who qualify use their social media expertise and so forth. It's this, it's this really we're all in this together ethic, which the team embodies. Right. Right. Now, let's talk about this the way it was talked about on the national stage. Everybody focused on Monday night. Mm -hmm. And of course, there were people bringing down cam canopies and raiding gas stations and knocking out store windows. Meanwhile, in Amherst, the, you know, 2,000 people rioted, six yeah. got arrested, 12 yeah. were injured. Nobody talked about that. You get to the point where you say, this is a little unfair. Any big event, they're going to be things that happen, but people almost look for it in Philadelphia in a way that may well, not be fair. It plays to a, you know, I mean, if you're in Chicago and you're reporting about Philadelphia, you want to kind of talk about that aspect of it. So right. you find it, and even though the facts aren't there. Um, you know, I mean, it, it, was, it was disappointing to drive by Macy's the next day mm -hmm. and see the broken window. At the same time, of all the places that there were windows around town, I mean, there was just a handful that happened. Um, so I, I think the city's done so much in the last 20-some years of shedding that old image, that inferiority, that second class in so many different ways. Talk about the Eagles. One low point for me, for the Eagles, and I'm sure you appreciate this too, and was earlier in the season when they were banning people from the box. Uh, some of the journalists. I mean, th that yeah. that's not to the. I mean, that, it's not to their strength. That's not really what it's about. And that's luckily they got over that period. And you of time. know, the NFL has had a difficult year overall. Wherever mm -hmm. you stood with the protests and you know free speech versus what have you. But when you looked at this, the reason why people could still rally. After, even people who protested throughout the year, and I talked to uh, several of them, they said, you know, it's the embodiment of the team. It's the embodiment of contributing to the community that this team has that you're not seeing across the NFL. And that's why they said this was something that we can celebrate all together. It didn't matter your political stripe. Because right. the team did speak out Be on a number of absolutely. issues. It wasn't just, well, we're just here to play football. This yeah. was the most, quote, but woke team in the NFL. But let's right. talk about this because the, the police are getting a lot of kudos for the way that they've handled it. But there were some naysayers who said, okay, when it's a largely white crowd it's just people being boisterous and rowdy but if this had been black lives matter or when there's a black lives matter event it, it's a lot more frosty a lot more tense where's this kind of okay we're just where's the attitude where's the similar attitude now the police would argue we do show up we do try to be respectful we do just focus on everybody's safety do people have a point that there's a difference in the attitude and how the two different sorts of groups are viewed? I think it's the perception and part of the perception and the attitudes, not even just so much the police officers, but those who are around the police officers mm -hmm. or speaking on one issue to the other. For some reason, it's acceptable for the boys will be boys. I mean, look at State College. They went up and, and acted crazy there. Oh, it's, it's okay. It's not okay. It's not okay in any situation. But if you do not hold people accountable in one situation, then how do you say, I'm protesting for my civil rights and oh that's horrible it gets down to cultural perception of what it is and if you have a cultural perception that oh you think the police are bad and pigs and you're one of those people then you're going to stick with that mindset regardless and that's unfortunate you know I, I introduced uh, Malcolm Jenkins who writes a mm -hmm. column for us at the citizen on criminal justice reform to M Mike Chitwood the the superintendent mm -hmm. of uh, Upper Darby uh, police decorated Philly cop uh, and Chitwood makes the, and they just did a great, if you get a chance to watch it, a great video uh, on uh, NFL.com. And Chitwood makes the point that we, police, have to do a better job talking to people. Mm -hmm. And he's instituted this race training among his police officers that's far and away beyond the training about diversity that, that usually occurs in police uh, uh, forces around the nation. And so there's another case where a football player 
is bridging a divide. Uh, Malcolm Jenkins isn't just protesting. He's actually going to meet with police and say, how do we fix it? It is a little surprising in Philadelphia because you do have a lot of leadership that is black and brown, a lot of cops that are black and brown. So it still kind of raises the question of why do they feel they continue to have this sort of friction with a, a, a police force that might be a little bit more aware or cognizant than in another city. I think anytime you have, you know, first of all, I, I think the perception is, 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 is largely inaccurate. I, I don't think the police really. Number two is I think anytime you have a political matter behind you, there's going to be a certain kind, whether it be right, left, you right. name it. I think so that's different dynamic. I think one of the great things to, was to see those photos and the, the video of, of African-American cops, white cops, laughing with the fans of all kinds yeah. of... I mean, that was a diverse crowd. They were yesterday. really... The cops were part of it. They were getting Absolutely. the crowd amped up. Uh, they, they were loving their, it. Their, their brand uh, attributes went way up yesterday, and I think it was a great day for the police. It really, you, saw a diff- you, you saw the side that, frankly, is the real side of it, which is yeah. these are guys just trying to do their job, yeah. but it came through. All right, we just have a few minutes in this block left. Let's talk a little bit... Uh, Tom Wolf came out, mainly to want, you know, started with the Eagles and how excited he was. Did give a budget short speech, 20 minutes. He did ask for more money, a billion dollars, but largely seems to think that he will just have revenue protect, projections to protect him. And Marcella Shale, which is back after three tries of it not working, did it make any sense when everybody's just thinking about trying to take his job to bring up Marcella Shale again? I, I, I guess it's worth throwing it out there again. It's a non-starter, I think, with the, with the legislature. I'm struck by just how much he is the incredibly shrinking governor. When you look at his first uh, budget address and how lofty it was and how, how kind of ridiculous it was in terms of uh, uh, liberal policies, and now uh, what does he stand for? I don't know what he actually runs on. What accomplishment does, does, does he run on? It's a very, it's a very slim guy. resume. I'm not yeah. that guy. Yeah. yeah, I think he has, I, I think his first two years, when, when you get elected as a governor, you, which is fantastic, but you have to remember, you're elected governor. Somebody else was elected state representative. <laughs> they represent their district, too. Yeah. So it wasn't like you're elected king and they're your, your vassals. Right. I mean, they, they have their own. And for the first two years, he, he really kind of foolishly just battled over things that weren't going to happen. I think he's... You know, I think he wants to get reelected. I think he's got a great chance of getting reelected. In fact, but is it smart that people just see him going out and talking about things people can agree on? Opioid crisis. Let's have better schools. They don't see him being big on the stage and battling back and forth. I no. I I think this is actually. I I think this is in the great tradition of a kind of a fairly moderate state like Pennsylvania is, where people are finding we're not Alabama, you know, kind of a thing. And I, (laughs) I think people are trying to find ways to get things done. And they want leaders who can get things done. Now I will. I don't know why we have to have a 3% increase in taxes again mm-hmm. and all the ways, you know, given what they're doing. Some big thinking would be great, but... Really quickly, the Republicans had a straw poll. A couple of interesting factoids. The people with the most money, that would be Scott Wagner and Paul Mango. They both have. They've given themselves a lot of money. Mm-hmm. They've got over $5 million in the bank, but the straw poll said it's about Terzai and Wagner. If you're Mango, do you just say, forget it, I'm getting out? Or, like, who's really... And then you see a picture of Laura Ellsworth, a lawyer, who also is not really hitting the boards. Who are the really the front runners here? Is it Wagner's to walk away with, or it's kind of jump ball? But you know, it's really interesting in the legislature. Both Terzai and Wagner, they have, let's say, distinct personalities. Yes. And so, if they go out, 
I think the GOP has a real challenge right now. Do they want to come up with a really um, stringent brand, which would be either Terzai or Wagner, or do they want to come out with something a little different and perhaps palatable in this purple state, which would be represented by the others? When you look at the money and then you look at the straw poll. It's confusing. You're yeah. a Republican. I, I, first <laughs> of all, I also don't think the party will endorse anyone because I just don't think they know really where it's going to be, and nobody wants to endorse one person and somebody else wins. Wagner's a, a character, you know, and some would say a kook, you yeah. know, and I, I just don't know whether or not this is a good year I, for I've that. I've been really impressed with uh, Ellsworth, and, and, and I feel so like... They're uh, right giving me the rap, so it, it sounds like we'll have this, to see. This might be a woman's time. Okay, we'll see what happens. We'll be right back with more Inside Story. Inside Story is presented by Temple University. Welcome back to Inside Story. I'm Tamala Edwards. So the Supreme Court said, no, that's okay. We don't want to listen to this case out of Pennsylvania, this argument over the gerrymandered map. Taking it back to the state Supreme Court, which said, this is a problem. You need to send back a redone map. What needs to happen is supposedly the Republican-held House and Senate needs to come up with something, get Wolf sign off, and send that to this court. And if they don't, the court says, then fine, we'll have to draw it. Republican leaders have come back with something interesting. This is all supposed to be done by next Thursday. Yeah. <laughs> they said, well, maybe we don't have to actually pass something. Maybe we can just submit something, the draft of something, and then later have people come back and finalize it. Is this going to fly with the court, that as long as you submit something, it's the same as passing something? Well, it starts with the fact that Unfortunately, in Pennsylvania, we elect our Supreme Court. Many states don't do that. They're appointed and they're, you know, go through a process and this is a, an esteemed man or a woman and they're going to be, so we have an elected political, so it's inherently political on the other side and the Democrats control the Supreme Court. So I don't think that's going to float. Um, look, redistricting, you know, some call it gerrymandering, others call it whatever. It's intensely political. And I mean, and that's what it's going to be. And you could make the case that the one district, the main district looks a little crazy in terms of it. But where you draw that line, a block or two this way could make the difference between this person winning or that person winning. So it starts and it has been for 200 and some years an intensely political process. But it sounds like they but have to do it. There's a, they're not even trying to appeal anymore. They know right. this they has have to happen. To do if this they don't, the court will write the map. But it has right. been more political and yet even more intense. It's just like anything else when we started figuring out algorithms and people got a little more wicked and said, oh, well, I can really fix it this way. When you talk to the average Pennsylvania or anyone across the country and say, well, if you have this many registered voters and they all vote, then why is it that the House de delegation or you know the Pennsylvania delegation looks this way? Most people cannot understand why we have a majority Republican delegation in Pennsylvania when you have a majority of Democrats that are registered to vote in Pennsylvania. And I have to say, for the legal team that um, tried this court, I mean, tried this case and went to the Supreme Court, they were really smart because they focused on the state constitution. And so that kept the feds out of this. It was a really smart strategy. So moving along, yes, the Republicans are looking at this saying, yes, we have to do something about it. They just got caught this time. And so but you have to take care of it. Larry, what's the chance we get a map that looks like a bunch of squares or triangles <laughs> or circles or something that makes sense? It just is what it is. If politics is out of it, I think pretty good. I talked to Dave Daly, who's the author of Rat Blanked, uh, the, right. the, the definitive book on this. And Dave actually said that it's good that there's a short timetable because you don't want politics interceding. The state constitution says that these districts should be, should be uh, aligned basically in accord with county lines. Mm -hmm. So there could be a Delaware County seat, there can be a Montgomery County seat. Now some of those don't have enough voters so you have to figure out. But 
there, there are, is technology, the Philadelphia-based company Azavia has it, that w where you can just drop these lines in an instant. Yeah, but it but shouldn't look like Goofy cookie kicking Donald Trump. But, 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 but it is intensely political on the other side, too. We're yeah, Democratic absolutely. incumbents absolutely. saying, you know been. what, okay, I want to keep, well, why don't we give you Lower Murray, because that's pretty Democrat now. Yeah. And then, okay, it's well, yeah, it's absolutely. a lot of that going But on. when it gets down to it, it has to be about representation. So again, kudos to those citizens that said, I'm signing up for this, and yes, I'm suing because I want my vote to count, and for too long it has not. Yeah. Do you but, think there's a chance they come up with something and say, look, it's going to be back and forth to your point either way. Let's just go to a company like this and agree to something. Well, you know, I worked right out of college. I, I graduated from college in 1979. I worked for the Republican National Committee. And back then, it was redistricting was coming up in the 80 census. And it was all about using computers as far as this room. Yeah. And it was like, wow, they're going to use computer technology to do it. So it has gotten, the, that size computer could be on your phone probably now. I, I think the, the I issue is, if, if I was in the legislature, I'd say, let's draw districts that look pretty reasonable, but we think there's more of an advantage to us as a Republican, and let's see if we can get this through. Okay. And the optics will be, when you look at the map, it looks reasonable. Uh, Bob Brady says he's out of the first district. We'll see whether or not the district yeah. survives. It feels as though everybody is now running for this. We have two new names that have come up, people wanting to get into it. We've got Joanna McClinton, who is a state rep, and we've got Kevin Johnson, who's a known minister, and they're joining Nina Ahmet. They're joining Michelle Lawrence, Willie Singletary, Lindy Lee, and Richie Laser, the deputy mayor, supposedly also thinking about getting in. Do all of these people stick around through May, or do, does it start to get weeded out? I think a couple will drop out just because it takes some money to be really credible, and people are going to say, hey, you know what, for the good of the party and for your own personal future, why don't you drop out? I think Joanna McClinton, LaSalle grad, Villanova Law, African-American, state rep, work for Tony Williams, I, I think in a crowded field, she has a lot of advantages. Is it surprising that Brady, let's not forget that with the demographics. Is it surprising that Brady has said sort of favorable things about Laser rather than saying, you know what, I'm taking my dog and going home, I'm just going to retire now, you guys figure it out. Well, I, I think he, he, he wants to have a hand in picking his successor. I think this relates to the last uh, topic we talked about because what the, the lines of that district is is going to uh, be important here. There's a fight going on behind the scenes because Delaware County might not, the, the Meehan seat, mm -hmm. might not have enough voters. So they've got to get about 150,000 voters. If they take it, uh, Kenny and Brady want them to take it from South Philly, uh, uh, but but um, you know the Delaware County people uh, want to have have a say in that too. So, so we have we'll to see. see how this shakes out in terms of what the actual districts are. All I'm right. predicting a female will take this seat, and we need another female. We need a female in our Pennsylvania delegation because right now we don't have one. Yes, All yes. right. Well, we'll take another break and come back to our Inside Stories of the Week. Six ABC's Inside Story is presented by Temple University. Time now for Inside Stories of the Week. Larry, we'll start with you. Tam, you know, I'm writing a book with uh, John Dorenbos, the longtime Eagles uh, long snapper who at America's Got Talent, magician. Uh, what a great move. Uh, John had a heart condition, almost, uh, it was life-threatening. The Eagles brought him back for the parade, and Jeffrey Lurie gave him a championship Super Bowl ring. What a mensch move. All right. Let's go on over now to Nia. The euphoria of the parade is dying down, and that means politics are heating up. But that being said, you have to really pay attention to the issues that are powering women. We're a month after the whole Women's March, and now folks are really focusing on education issues. The Represent PAC is going to be a force to be reckoned with. Criminal justice reform is going to be a strength. So is fundraising. So we see a lot of female candidates coming up. She Can Win is going to be one of those powerhouses to watch out for. Okay, and Brian, you got some fun. Well, you know, 
if you had to say one thing that kind of captured the imagination of the entire region, as well as perhaps the country, was this thought of underdog. Everybody loves the underdog. And in fact, what happened is their underdog masks were unavailable. Whoever was manufacturing must have thought, like, oh my gosh, I should have made more. But it was great to see the city embrace it and to see Independence, an advertiser for uh, on Channel 6, 6 ABC, created this because there was a shortage. Independence came out with underdog masks so everyone okay. can have them and wear them and things like this and kids. <laughs> and it was fun to see people wearing them. Fox News and nationally, MSNBC as well, there are people holding them up. So underdog right. united the entire country. And to our underdogs, we love you always. That's, That's right. it for Inside Story.